I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we sit down with Carmen Rita Wong, the author of Why Didn't You Tell Me? A Memoir. We dive into family trauma and the cultural differences in raising your children. Let's talk about it. Not that I have a feeling. I know that today's guest is like, is like ultra cool, um, and uh, and it feels weird to be on. It feels weird to be like on this side of things, like interviewing. And not that we fucking interview. It's never an interview. It's always like <laughs> just a conversation. But like interviewing someone who has been, who's led a really wild um, and interesting life. Um, today we are joined by Carmen Rita Wong, um, and uh, we're going to be talking about Carmen as an author. But but before that, let me just lay this out for you guys. Carmen is a former national television host, uh, magazine advice columnist, a faculty professor. She was the vice chair of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America and a board director at The Moth. Fuck you. <laughs> Look at this resume, dude. This is like the coolest resume I've ever read in my life. Um, and now today she is sitting with, with us because uh, she has published some novels currently is working on her sixth book, but we're going to be talking about, or at least a little bit about, uh, the latest book, Why Didn't You Tell Me, which is a memoir. And of course you wrote a memoir because your life is fucking wild. Um, why wouldn't you? Um, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us. Please, I, I mean, you know, this is, I just listed off your, your career, um, uh, your, your career past, but if you wouldn't mind, please give us a nice little warm introduction. Give us a little more insight into who Carmen is. Oh my goodness. Well, Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me, uh, Brian, Jaron Taylor. Um, what else can I tell you? I'll tell you this. The memoir isn't about that resume. The, <laughs> that's what I'll tell you. A lot of people assume that the memoir is, you know, about my professional life. It is not. It is because my personal life uh, or my origin stories, so much more interesting, actually, in yeah. that bio. Um and I led a life where I was raised, you know, as kind of a secret. Uh, my origins as to who my father was, was a secret. My life changed from Harlem to New Hampshire, Dominican, Chinese, to the mountains uh, and all of those things. And then, you know, DNA testing. And let's just say it is quite the saga. And I wrote it because, you know, look, memoirs, like, why do you pick up a memoir? Like maybe someone's famous, maybe it's gossipy, blah, 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 blah. But if you don't know me and you know my background, why would you want to read? My life, as you kind of mentioned, really, really wild. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote it very much as a page turner, you mm -hmm. know, and it's a very, it's such a frankly typical American story. People are surprised how many mm -hmm. people I have heard from who are like, whether it's mother and daughter relationships, whether it's secret fathers, whether it's, you know, family dynamics, racism, whatever it is, people connect with it because mm. it is just such a common American story. I mean, that's the thing about like, that's the thing about media in general, right? In terms of whether it's uh, a biography, a memoir, a, a, a fictional in quotes, uh, television show or a movie where wild stuff happens. Mm. Because if it's just wild, but no one's ever gone through it, then it's just crazy. But if it's, but the reason that it lands with people, that stuff like that lands with people is because there's a swath of people that are like, it's relatable. I get mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I, I've been there in some way. I understand. I, 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 I can relate to that or I know somebody or whatever. And this story is, is sort of. Mm. Is putting that uh, is putting that on display at this like yeah. thing that I can connect with. We we we've talked a lot over the last uh, you know nine eight nine years of doing this show about trauma, 
Um, yeah. You know, it's like a c- consistent theme that comes up on the show. Um, and, you know, like trauma is subjective. Um, mm. You know, like I think I think a lot of times, at least prior to doing this project, you know, when I heard the word trauma or th- heard the word family trauma, I would have just, you know, my mind would have immediately went to like physical abuse or, you know, like, you know, the, the, the like the big T's in trauma. I never really thought about the trauma that comes with things that, you know, um, if you haven't experienced it, you might not really typically think of that as like a, as a necessarily traumatic event. Um, I know that in my family and, and, you know, not to like spoiler alert or anything, but in my family, um, uh, I don't know, it was like 15, 16 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, we found out we had a new, we had, we had a new aunt. We found out my mm. dad had a sister and that, that we never knew about. And she only found out that my, that her family existed um, while her mother was on her, on her deathbed. Yeah. And for, for my aunt, Darlene, uh, before she met us, she had no idea that she had mm. this family. To her, it was the family that she always had. And then all of a sudden her mom was like, well, actually your dad's not your dad. And, um, I don't know where he is and he's, you know, yada, yada, wherever. And I never really talked to Darlene about how traumatic that must've been for her, but it, it, I, I, I'm, I'm sure it was, I'm sure there's some sort of trauma there. I know that you have yeah. a, some, some, somewhat similar kind of story Very here. Similar. Deathbed almost. Yep. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering like, <laughs> like everything that you've said so far and that we haven't even begun to unpack. Are you like, when you go to see a therapist, are they just like, Oh, jackpot. Like we got one. This is, this is, we got lots to do here. This is going to be good. Let me tell you, I have been seeing the same therapist. I call him my Obi-Wan. I've been seeing him for 15 years every week. Wow. And even whether it's on a phone call or whatever it is, I've been talking to him pretty much every week for 15 years. And yeah, we, I'm sure he very much <laughs> finds this all very interesting. Cause you know, I'll, I'll get on with him and I'll just be like, so Bill, you know, something else happened, you know? And he's just like, ah, oh, bring it up to me. But it's great because, you know, that therapy and having it. And then, you know, I have, I have a master's of psychology and part of it was, you know, I thought I was going to go into that. Um, but it helped me. I ended up in behavioral economics, but just understanding how people work and how, why people work and all that stuff mm-hmm. is just so incredibly important. And I have to tell you the, the phenomenon of like what your aunt, what you're talking about her experience of like, I didn't know. Mm. And then she was told she had a different father and that sort of thing. What people, some people who have, you know, in the adoption community, the DNA community, all this DNA testing has brought about mm. so many people who are suddenly like, my parents have been lying to me this whole time. You know, right? we pick it up. Like I felt from the time I was young, like I was this little orbiting moon in the family. Mm-hmm. Like I always felt that something was wrong. Something was different. And when I was young, I internalized it. I'm sure as to me, like that whole idea that the body knows it's your subconscious knows. Yeah. Because if you've got two adults looking at your face every day and knowing they're lying to you about who you are, and they know the truth, the truth, I am the truth. And I am looking at them every day. Mm. That's going to change the way they treat me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I picked up on it. My mother's first marriage, my brother and I are the Wongs. Right. And then my four younger sisters, and it was this big family and I just did not belong. And I was mm. treated very differently. And what happens is, is that you grow up with this really awful unsettled feeling and you feel like you're not like in your body. Like it's a whole big giant question mark. Um, and it comes out in all sorts of ways. It's yeah. Well, I I mean, I was going to say like, you know, I I would love to get into some of the details of like your upbringing, but before we do like that, that sense right there, that sense of, of, you know, whether it's subconscious, like, you know, you don't, you're not telling yourself directly, but like, there's a part of you that knows I'm being lied to, or there's a part of you that knows that like something's off here. And obviously it's, it's, it's having an effect on you because it's, it, it's directly tied to the the relationships of the people that are closest to you in, in proximity to the, you know, to your upbringing. How did that, or how has that had an effect on like your ability to invite others into your life or, or like, or Oof. accept others into your life, you know, like in, in terms of, in terms of, you know, friendships or, or intimate relationships or things like that, like 
does that just does it totally fuck with your ability to <laughs> that's a therapy question right? yeah, like yeah. Yeah. no i'm watching brian's face because brian and i are like looking at each other like <laughs> I, I i go to um, i go to therapy and and like yeah. and my relationship with that question is uh, i yeah like yeah I feel, listen I feel you. <laughs> trust where do you learn trust first your, your parents. parents yeah right yeah. You want to trust your parents. As a kid, I didn't want to believe my parents were lying to me. You don't want to believe that because that means that the people that are entrusted with you and your life mm -hmm. are betraying you, are lying to you. And that translates into they don't love you mm -hmm. enough to tell you the truth. So, yes, of course it does. And I'll tell you what it, what it did is because I think my mother's way of she knew that essentially there were two fathers. There was my father, my, she was Dominican, right? So there was my Chinese father and then there was my stepfather who was Anglo-American. And she knew that I wasn't of these people, which of course I didn't know too many decades later. Um, she felt, I'm sure that I needed to take care of myself from day one. I needed mm. to be driven, succeed, blah, blah. She channeled, I said channeled and funneled everything <laughs> in terms of me needing to achieve. Mm. And that translated into me like, well, I can win her love. I can win her acceptance. I can win this father or this father. Like can, I can win parents love and, and also make myself feel better about like mm -hmm. that. I'm lovable. If I just continue to just push myself to the ends of the earth. Right. And right. that's what it does. But guess what that does? You become a performer. Yeah. And yeah. the thing is, is that performing, it's not good for relationships. Mm. It's, so, you know, I've had a couple divorces, guys, a couple yeah. divorces, not good relationships, but like there's, there's so many aspects in life where it's like fucking amazing and, and beneficial. Yeah. But then yeah. when it comes to the, you know, when it comes to the interpersonal stuff, it's, it can, it can it's, be really detrimental. We were having this yeah. um, conversation the other day about like the mask that you wear and yeah. like there's, you know, there's the mask that you wear, um, consciously that like is pretty in particular when you're in like, you know, high school or junior high and you're, and you go to school and you want to show up and be this, this person that like the other people are going to like, and the person that you think that you have to be to, mm. to get other people to like you. But then there's like, or in these... Taylor's case, not like in high school. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He was, a, he was a bully <laughs> beating the shit. Uh, out. So, oh, man, Taylor, so disappointed. <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> I'm not even going to, not going to defend myself. But, but then there's I'm also, I'm not even going to defend like, myself so, from my current bullies. So I, I have like my, my relationship to that, like, not being able to trust your parents. My parents went through a really nasty divorce when I was in my teens. And, um, and so when Jared was asking that question, I was relating to that in a, yeah. in a probably a bit of a different way. Um, but there's also that like subconscious mask that you wear to sort of like, as that like person that you think you have to try to be to like either win your parents love Ooh. or yeah. like, or, or just survive. Um, yeah. and so that I feel that, and that can be really, really, Hard. You know, yes. I, yeah. I, 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 when you're talking about um, acting, like or performing, like something that I remember thinking as a maybe a child, maybe also as a, as a young adolescent, I remember having the thought of like looking at actors and going, "Man, actors are incredible because they could just be whatever they want, whenever they want," mm -hmm. and then realizing as a uh, as an adult that the way that they act in film and television is because it's like an artistic expression mm -hmm. and acting in life mm -hmm. is the farthest thing from fun. Yeah, no, it's painful. And it's, it's, and I was, I call it performing in the sense of, cause look, it wasn't so much like, Oh, I, I married these people or stuff because if everything is about achieving and superficiality and all this stuff, and don't forget too, when I moved from Harlem to New Hampshire, as this, you know, Afro-Latino Chinese kid, everybody assumed I was going to get knocked up in high school. I was stupid. Ooh. I wasn't going to get education, blah, blah. So I had to spend every single day I walked out that door. It wasn't just I had to achieve at home. Ooh. I had to walk out that door and show everyone I wasn't trash because I wasn't white. Mm -hmm. And so there was a level of, okay, so underneath all of that, you know, external locus of control stuff, like where's, where's me? You know, where is me? And then the thing is, is like, I always knew I was queer. I always knew I was attracted to any gender. It didn't matter. 
But I held that in too, because listen, I had enough going against me. I was already a brown woman. You think I want to succeed in the world and also put that label on it? No. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time until I was successful and felt like I could be, I could comfortably just be myself and not get dinged more for it. I had to prove myself first. And it's, um, it's been a ride. What was it like? What was it like making that move from New York to New Hampshire, two very different worlds, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and 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 you know, not not that um, not that I'm making the uh, or or portraying the idea that you know Manhattan is this you know like utopia of uh, of equality or anything like that, but there is there is a, a massive melting pot of cultures yeah. um, in Manhattan and not as much in New Hampshire. Um, so what was that experience like in terms of, and, and especially like from a very unique perspective of, of you having this like very, very broad mixture of cultural yeah. influences and like on your life? Oh, let me tell you, Taylor. Well, like Jer said, trauma, talk about trauma. You take a kid from her home where my cousins lived across the street, down the street, my grandparents lived, you know, nearby. I was, I was that whole community raised thing. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, Dominicans come in all colors, but we're mostly, you know, Dominicans, the language, the food, just think about the food, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the music. Think about also weekends were in Chinatown, right? With my brother and Poppy Wong. So imagine the smells, the sights, the sounds, the food, right? The people. Then you take me without warning. Cause you know, this was the seventies guys. You don't tell your kids anything. You just mm. load them up in the car and just go and explain later. This is your new room. Like it was like that. And my mother agreed with, or decided to follow because again, she did not have much of an education. She was an immigrant. She was going along with the whole, I'm going to have the American dream, but it required agreeing to no Spanish in the house, no Latin food, no Chinese food, no Spanish music, no, no nothing. Mm. changing the way she dressed, changing the way we dressed, changing the way we talked, you know, everything and not having the support system around me, not having my, my grandmother who was the one person, thank God, I think she saved my life because she loved me, that woman and showed me what real love, you know, that kind of love is. And my cousins and people who looked like me and suddenly being plopped in a place where everybody was like, right. Um, it was brutal. Mm. And I think the the comparison is, is that it was like just being thrown onto Mars mm. and you could not tell my mother, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm this or that, like that was not allowed. Mm-hmm. How old were you when that, when, when you made that, that transition? Uh, I was like five. Yeah. Can You're you, old can, enough can, to know. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Can, can you give us a, a bit of like, it's sort of a high level sort of overview of of, you know, your, your, your upbringing, your life, um, just to put things into context. Cause I know that there's, you know, we, we, we've talked about your mother and we've talked about there's, there's, you know, there's Poppy Wong and, and then, you know, your, your stepfather and, but you know, Poppy wasn't actually your, your dad. So like, just give us a little bit of a, a sort of overview of the, like the family dynamics and who is, who is a part of it. Um, just so, just so we can sort of kind of piece together this puzzle as we walk through it. Yeah. So, well, I, I like, like, you know, like I said, at the beginning, you see, heard where it happened, right? In that melting pot of, of New Hampshire. I mean, of, of uh, the opposite of Manhattan to New Hampshire, Catholic, all girls school, that whole thing. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Um, my stepfather, you know, they had my four younger sisters. I was very much the second parent in the house, which is very typical, the eldest daughter in immigrant families. This is very common. <laughs> and it's also brutal. It's like, okay, where's my childhood? It's gone. You're six. Yeah. Bye. Um, but, uh, it, you know, from that, my mother was the constant in my life. Right. And my older brother, my older brother was just the bomb. Like mm. he was just, the best thing. He's the reason why I was a sci-fi nerd. I was into movies and film, all that stuff. That that's my brother and music. It was great. So he was very much a foundation and always there. Um, Poppy would, we would go back to the city a lot. My mother was obviously homesick. She missed her family, her people. So we would drive the four hours back and forth. Um, and, and then also to see Poppy who was providing financial assistance to my brother and I. And here's where the dynamics get funky. So here I am with a stepfather who went to graduate school, Columbia University, 
who's, you know, an Anglo-American man who goes to work with a trench coat and a briefcase. And we have, he built us, he built her her dream house and all this business. And Poppy Wong gets arrested when I'm 16. What I didn't know about him is I thought he was a jewelry, a costume jewelry manufacturer, an entrepreneur, so to speak. <laughs> right. Poppy was a gangster. <laughs> Poppy was a Chinese gangster um, mm. and he got picked up for trafficking. So, you know, there goes my financial infusion and mm. I'm about ready to go to college. And do you, to, do you, sorry, do you think Poppy is, is your biological dad? Like, like yes, in your, in yes. your mind, Poppy is dad. Yes. 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 Until yeah, right. I was 31 years old. So all of a sudden I'm on my own financially. I'm the first mm. uh, girl. My brother was the first in the whole family and all the families to go to college. Mm-hmm. And then I was the first girl. And we had to pay for it. So my mother and I went to work to pay for college. It wasn't until I was 30. I moved back to Manhattan as soon as I could on my own. 31 years old, my mother is diagnosed with cancer. And my stepfather decides to take me aside and say, and they had divorced. Nasty divorce, Brian, by the way. One of those, like my sisters, we we wanted, my brother and I used to talk about like taking them out of the house because that's how Mm -hmm. bad it was. But they divorce and he tells me, I am your father. And it was like that awful, yeah, Star Wars. I am your father. And I was just like, no, you know, the whole scream thing. No, you know. Um, and he said, I'm telling you because, you know, your mother's dying and blah, blah, blah. She wouldn't tell me. I confront her about it. Let's just say it was a whole nother story. It was a whole nother one of her stories, but then I live. So 31 years I'm living as Poppy Wong's daughter. Mm. Then I'm supposedly my sister's sister. Then I take a DNA test 10 years later. Oh shit. Whoa. And so you're going to have years. to buy the book and you're going to yeah, have to yeah. buy the book. 10 years later, shit. DNA don't yeah. lie. Science yeah. don't lie. But by that time, my mother had passed. The family had passed. Anybody who could tell me who this person was had passed. Mm. Um, and it is a cliffhanger. And, and yes, it's all in there and blah, blah, blah. But the, the really important thing and the reason why I wrote the book is not because when I wrote the book and got the book deal, I didn't know who he was. Mm. The point of the book was not to find out, like, let's find out who, you know, let's, uh, what's his name? Let's Maury this. Mm-hmm. It was, <laughs> it was really, why would she do such a thing? Why mm. would someone do such a thing to their child? Mm. Like what would, and, and in finding out and figuring out who she was and treating her as this like separate person, I was able to understand Mm. not forgive because she didn't say she was sorry Um, or tell me the truth, but understand. And then it helped me understand myself Mm. because I still very much have processed. Okay. I I thought all of a sudden, like, what am I going to do? Like, am I not Chinese anymore? Do I change my name? Like, blah, blah, blah. Look, I buried Poppy last year. I didn't bury him. He's cremated Buddhist. Um, I took care of him till the end. That was my father. Yeah. I'm yeah. a Wong. I may not be biologically Chinese, but I'm a Wong and I'll always be Wong. Like that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I've always very much felt like I have my, I have my own, I have a very small, um, I have a very small family. Like I have, I have aunts and uncles and cousins and things, but like my family, family, like to me really is like my mom and my dad and my sister. And yep. then I have, and then I have, and then I have uncles and, th- and you know, and they're my, they're my family, but like, I, I'm not, I don't have close relationships with them. And then I have chosen my chosen family. Yeah. yeah and, same. and like, like Brian, for example, Brian and I, I moved in across the street from Brian when I was 10 years old. He has twin brother. Uh-huh. They are my, they are my <laughs> brothers. Their mom is my second mom. Like, you know, th- there are, there are people that, that just because they are not your biological family that yeah. it's it, it it is a it's a bond in a relationship that is that it, it the blood doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um yeah. um what is i i'm when you said that you understood but you didn't forgive with your mother yeah, yeah. what kind of what kind of, how did you wrap your head around the the choice to not 
be truthful at the end of her life. Like that's a major sort of like, that's a major, that's a major move. Like, because at the end you kind of, you always think everybody on their deathbed is going to be like, well, you know, the aliens are real. Yeah. Like I'm I'm out of here. So what's the point in, in, in Uh, carrying it on? If you only knew Guadalupe, um, (laughs) she needed to manage her image to the end. Mm. She needed to manage her image. Like it was a legacy thing. Her, her, her image, literally like, was she a good person? Was she a good woman? Could she basically hide the fact that she um, was sleeping around? Mm. Right. Could she, um, you know, initially I was like, well, was she doing this just for finances? Just so that I was taken care of. Yes. But then once she's on her deathbed and I'm on my own, then what, then why? Right. To your point, it's like, what's there to lose? Like now I'm on my own. Like, why do you keep up this BS? Mm -hmm. And it really was an idea of who she was. She needed to hang on to it so hard. So, Mm -hmm. so damn hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing is, is that, you know, look, she was married off to this Chinese gangster by her father with no choice at 19 years old to get her immigration papers. And her father did that. He was abusive. He was a gangster. He was all these things. And so she had to get out of that marriage and she used what she had, her bod. She used the hot bod and she tried to get out of it. And she landed her, you know, white knight, American dream type thing. And she wasn't going to fuck that up by, you know, having a kid from somebody else. Right. So she did what she felt like she needed to do. And the reason why I, understand is simply because now I understand the position that she was in, in those years at that time and the amount of goddamn trauma, abuse and horrors that she came out of in childhood. We're talking, they fled the country. You know, my grandfather was, he, he was a revolutionary on the side of, uh, you know, um, democracy, but he was a brute and it was awful. And so it's like, you just, you get to know your parents, why they do it now. Why don't I forgive her? Look, I'm a big fan of forgiveness is giving. It's got the word in it. And I'm not a fan of giving somebody who hurt me anything else. They already, they already took enough, right? You got to apologize to me and you got to change your behavior. She didn't do that. My stepfather didn't do that. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. There's so much of your story that I, I personally relate to. And and just like one thing that I, I want to share is like I a number of years ago, I went to have a really tough conversation with my dad and I asked him to apologize for something that really hurt me. And he didn't. And I left that conversation like pretty emotionally devastated but also oh, yeah. at the same time felt good um, yeah. in the way that like I asked for what I needed and yes. I felt like I stood up for myself in the situation. And um, it's funny because I did this yoga teacher training like 10 years ago now. And um, the most valuable thing I took away from the yoga teacher training was there was this like moment of conflict during this training. And, and I had apologized to somebody that I had said some, something mean to in the heat of the, the moment and the person didn't accept my apology. And I asked my yoga teacher about this. I was like, look, I, you know, I reacted emotionally. I was, I was really sorry about this thing that I did, but this person didn't accept my forgiveness or, or didn't mm. forgive me. And my yoga teacher said to me, like, you know, you cannot control what other people mm-hmm. do or how, how they experience this world. The only thing that you can do is control how you feel and how you experience this world. And so I remembered that when I had this conversation with my, my dad, because 
I wanted him to apologize and say that he was sorry, but I couldn't make him mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And I couldn't make him feel sorry about hurting me. And so at the end of the day, I had, I was at least proud that I had asked for that. And I think a lot, like my mom was adopted and I don't really know where I came from and what my roots are. And, and something that's come up in therapy a lot late, lately is this idea of, of fit versus belonging. So mm-hmm. like, do you fit in this world or do you belong? And oftentimes you work really hard to try to fit, but sometimes you don't feel like you belong and that can be really hard. And I'm curious for you, Carmen, like what is your relationship to this idea of fitting versus belonging? Well, first of all, I can tell you, Brian, I'm like gold starring you like so hard <laughs> right now. You are so, you're breaking my heart and filling my heart. You know, I don't know if you, are you guys parents? Yeah. Taylor Taylor's just <laughs> newly. Yeah. Okay. Ah, relations. Okay. So I'm, I'm a parent now and it definitely changes the way you parent when you grow like that. Like Brian, all, everything you're saying is going to make you such a better parent mm. and apologizing to my daughter. When I lose my temper, or I do something. Or, oh my God, you got to hear your kids. You got to feel your kids. You got to like, and it's heartbreaking. And I feel you because that lack of apology, whew, that's yeah. just a schism, like nothing else. Like mm-hmm. it's just a, a crater, but to understand that you are worthy of one and that they are broken you're not broken. Like just Mm. keep that with you. Um, Mm. but to your point about like fit and belonging, that is exactly what, like we started when we first started talking about performing it's, I was trying to fit everyone else. I was trying to fit and defy, like, you know, to defy and fit ideas of who I am and all that stuff. And then now I've created to Taylor's point, this very much chosen family of where I feel like we're all in belonging with each mm-hmm. other. I can fully be myself. My daughter can fully be herself. So my, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, um, who I've known since I was 16, she's like my sister. She's my big sister. We are super, super close. Their kids are my daughters. They call them C-stars, S-E-A stars, C-stars, <laughs> sisters. Um, so they call each other C-stars, sisters, because they're that close. And it's, it is very much this kind of, you need to create that. Does it still break my heart that, you know, my sisters are not as close with me and that I love them more than they love me and that sort of thing. And yeah, of course there's like a big void, but you gotta be where you feel like you can belong and Mm -hmm. not square peg round hole stuff. Like I'm Mm -hmm. tired of like shaving off my sides and, you know, not being able to, to fully do it. It hurts. Like really does. What, what is it like to, because I don't have kids yet. And I oftentimes think about the idea of like trying to be a better parent than my parents were for me. I'm curious about like the pressure of feeling that way and like trying to be what maybe you didn't have or wanted or felt like you needed as a kid. It's been my mission in life. My daughter's 16. I've been in therapy 15 years do the math, like Mm. look at where I went into therapy. Also I divorced her dad when she was really young. So it's like, Mm. I knew like I needed to not, I was not going to mess this up. I was not going to become my mother. I was not gonna, I was going to have a good relationship with my kid, but it's a constant, you know, thing you need to do because Mm -hmm. kids change over time. (laughs) So what a kid's like when they're two is different when they're five, different when they're 13 and um, different when they're a teenager. And then there's also, you know, gender dynamics and all sorts of things. I said the one of the best pieces of advice that my therapist gave me that I tell you for all people who want to be a parent or are a parent, and it helped her and I so much is your child, your children are not belongings. They are not extensions. They are separate human beings. Mm. Let them be separate human beings. Your job is to caretake and raise, but as they are. Right. So that idea of belonging and fitting, let them belong in your family, but they don't try to make them fit. Right. So getting to know your kid is actually pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. When you stop trying to kind of like, be like, do this and do that. And did it like, and I'm not saying I'm not strict, (laughs) 
girlfriend, she's, she like walked out the door this morning and was like, so I have no curfew today. And she just walks out the door like that. And I'm like, yes, you do. 1030, little one, you know, and she knows I mean it, you know, right. Mm-hmm. But like, you have to give them these nice walls so that they mm-hmm. feel like they have somebody holding them together. But the idea of like getting to know, well, hey, she's a little different. She She's not like me. She likes this or this is the way she is. And so I got to respect that and not try to change that about her. Mm-hmm. Um, it was such great advice. They are separate people. It's such a uh, it's such an interesting uh, like my, my daughter's 18 months and 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 just like seeing that especially in the beginning like the rapid evolution yeah. from like well mm. i do nothing to like you're now you walk around you talk you communicate mm-hmm. you grab things you she put goes, clothes no. on yeah yeah exactly yeah i go i go can i have a hug and she goes no don't take it personally dude don't take it personally i know i know and my 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 uh my wife's mother was over yesterday and she was like she doesn't really give hugs do she and i was like yeah you just gotta ask and go through a bunch of no's and then eventually she comes over and she gives you a hug and then it's really and then it's extra special because like all the times you asked she didn't but then all she of a sudden chose. she went exactly you gave her the chance to do it on her own and exactly. that's a total perfect example don't yeah. force your kids to do things they're not comfortable with totally you know and where i grew up in the culture of like you hug your yeah. creepy uncle or cousin or whatever like he was like oh you give him a hug right now and i'm like oh you know let them like yeah and let her especially a girl let it's her a, have her voice it's a hard um it's a hard evolutionary i'm assuming there's something evolutionary to it of like trying to trying to funnel a child into a mold a, a, a mold or like a a co-mold of two parents of going of going, well, I'm like this and she's like that. And, yeah. you know, there should be like, there's a, you're, you're kind of a, you're a mix of us. And what of you is like me and what of you is like her and, and how does that, but to what you're saying, like, yeah, I mean, obviously there's some, there's some things that come out because you're raising them. So like, obviously there's going to be some similarities in that, but like not trying to force it in that way of you have to be like this or you should be like that. Um, and, and to what your, to, to what your, your, your point was there, Brian, of like, I, I have found that the thing that I try to, the thing that I think is at the, is that like the, the base of good parenting is being aware of that is just being aware of that stuff when it comes up in your head that you, that you want to make it, make it like this. And you go, Oh, I'm trying to make it like that. I'll just let it be. I want her to do this, but she's not. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm being, it's, I, I'm, it's a mindfulness I'm, practice. I'm behaving yeah. like this and that's, mm-hmm. uh, and like right now in this moment, that doesn't seem to be working or that's probably not the best way to approach this. And yeah. as long as I know that, then the next time I encounter myself in this situation, I'm less likely to, yeah. to, to do that or to apply that behavior. And then if, if the awareness is there, then you're, you're, you know, you'll make fewer mistakes than you would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring up a really good point that this this used to drive me crazy because so her father isn't, has not been involved in her life since she was little and she doesn't look like me at all. We used to get stopped mm-hmm. at immigration. They thought I was trafficking mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was a little blonde, blue eyed kid. So I'm raising her on my own. Right. And it's not helpful when people would be like, oh, she's just like, or he, she gets this from him or she gets this from mm. you or she blah, blah, blah. No, she's just, she's just her. Mm-hmm. She's just B. She's just who she is because we, we do tend to have this. And, and again, because I'm also multi everything, people tend to either, whether it's physical traits or behavior tend to be kind of like, you're like this, you're like that. You get this from this side mm-hmm. or from that side. And Brian, to your point about like adoption, like that can make you feel very like if we can see them and get to know the kids as their own people, it's, it helps them a lot. Mm-hmm. I know we all mean the, we mean the best. And I know family members mean the best when they say things like that. Cause we're trying to like make a family feel like a family, but like really seeing the kid as being like, nah, that's just the way she is. Totally. That's just her. Totally. It's, it's funny that you, you say that like my, like I, I felt like when my mom and I would get in arguments after my, my parents got divorced. The thing that hurt the most that she would say is like, Oh, that's just like your father. Like oh, she was like, no. like, <laughs> like, like, no. and, yep. and honestly, and, and it still happens to Deep this cut. day. Like she fucking still. And like, I've told her like, man, that really hurts when you say that because like, 
it's part of me. And then you're using that as like an insult against me. Like, mm. it, especially it, knowing how you know your mom feels about your father. Totally. Yeah. Mm. And it's, and, and it's it doesn't hard. belong to you. Right. Like, and it the, doesn't and belong to you. Like, the, the interesting thing that I thought of when you were saying that is like, I don't feel like either of my parents. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't even look at them and go, like, oh, like I get this trait from them or, or I, you know, even like, even that I feel like I really look like them. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because that also might be a feeling that has developed over time of like wanting to push myself away yeah. from them because of the you know trauma that I experienced mm. as a kid. But I've never yeah. thought of that before mm. until you just said yeah. that. Yeah, and trust me, I have had to bite my tongue many times. Yeah. <laughs> especially, yeah. especially early, you know, early on when I saw that they were, you know, she was developing, you know, and I just well, of course she was. Like we are a combination of our genetics and upbringing and all this stuff. But at the same time, I was just bit my tongue and said, let's just like address the behavior. Let's Ooh. not, you know, you don't criticize the kid. You don't throw your own crap on the kid. Yeah, I don't like yeah. it, but I'm not gonna, you know, you just like, let's address the behavior. Mm -hmm. What's the behavior? Stop this idea of, you know, identifying or making it about yourself. And that's a big part of parenting. If you can just not make it about you, it's good. Mm -hmm. Do you ever wonder just on this, just one last thing on this, on this, on this subject. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. just, I'm just fascinated by like the way in which we impact our children, especially cause yeah. it's like very top of mind for me. <clears throat> um, do you think that, do you think that the idea of, of, impro of improving or, uh, you know, noticing the what we perceive to be the mistakes of our parents and then not and then you know not not uh imposing those same mistakes onto our children is that a tale as old as time or is that something that in i don't know sometime in the last 200 years we started to go maybe i shouldn't be exactly treat my child the exact same way that my father or mother treated me well i Honestly, I think that I, I, I don't know. I don't know, but, but I, I, I think something that I've been dying to talk about is the, is the culture aspect. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a feeling like culturally that, mm -hmm. that mentality might be very different depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think that that's like general across like the entire globe. Yeah. I, I don't know, but, but that would be my guess is like, like I, 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 I'm not sure yeah. if that's the way it, it, it is universally. Um, but I, but I, but I hear, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think it's changed. It's starting to change. I think, um, you know, I follow a lot of, um, folks on social who are trying to, you know, breaking cultural patterns, yeah. um, whether it's Latinx parenting, um, uh, black American parenting or, uh, Asian there's, you know, Brown girl therapy. There's all these new therapists who are working to break generational traditions that are detrimental mm because culturally it is very, very rooted in culture. And it wasn't until I was like in grad school in 2000 that I first saw the first classes on epigenetics and the handing down of generational trauma. Mm -hmm. There is a level of self-awareness you have to have and you are fighting DNA. You are fighting culture and you will possibly separate yourself from your family by changing yeah. how you parent. Yeah. You'll separate yourself from your culture. I know that in my experience, especially when my daughter was younger, I did have some black and Latino friends who I really disagreed with how they parented. And it was as vital as I do not hit my child. Mm. Whereas culturally they were very successful families and they still believed in hitting. And, and it was very much a part of the culture. So there is a difference and, and there are, it gets like that deep and it's, we don't have time to go there, but um, you are, for, for many of us, you're battling against epigenetics, you're battling against your culture, your family, and it can isolate you. So the pressures are really, really strong mm. to not do that. And trust me when I tell you, I have some family that really wish I hadn't written this book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you don't do that. You yeah. don't do that. To to the culture piece, um, something that I, I've been curious about throughout this entire conversation is, I, I mean, you, you know, it's it seems like, you know, you've mentioned that you've been doing therapy for fifteen years weekly. Like, it seems like you have a pretty good grasp, at, uh, in the very least, a good grasp on, um, on being open to the idea of of like, of 
getting to the bottom of the things that make you you and like resolving the issues at hand. And I know that culturally, um, in some cultures, that's that's sort of like frowned upon and and also yeah. looked down upon. Um, um, culturally, for you, like you know, you're you you have there's a there's a mix of cultures at yeah. at, at hand here. So, um, how has those how have those cultures had an effect on the way that you viewed your own mental health? And did that like at what point in your life did that start to shift for you? Oh, it shifted early on because what I saw, here's the thing. Let's be very clear. I love the cultures I came from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love. But every culture has its issues, especially if you are um, not a cisgender male. Let's just say, right? Mm -hmm. So it has its issues, especially patriarchal cultures have their issues. Um, I think I understand your question. I think, you know, I was very much a science kid because part of the culture was a lot of, I know this is a very term thrown around, but this is really real gaslighting, mm -hmm. uh, religion. Um, if you are not this, you are going to hell. If you don't do this, you are a sinner. If you don't blah, blah, like a lot of that. And I don't know if I came out of the womb, but I came out just going, well, that's not fair. Like I literally, I was that kid. I was a pain in the ass. I was always like, why? And then I was like, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I would say the nuns like, well, but my Chinese father, like he's Buddhist. So you're telling me that, you know, a billion Chinese people at that time, there was only a billion, <laughs> billion, you know, Buddhists are all going to hell. <laughs> you know, like I was that kid and it yeah, was, yeah. you know, and always questioning. And then I saw that my mother's choices were built around this idea that men were better. And I was like, well, that's just bull. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't about better or not better. Like, this just is just wrong. It did make me go against the culture. When I got my first apartment, my mother got phone calls. So I got my first apartment by myself. And I was on my own from the time post, right out of college. And my mother was, got phone calls from all the Dominican family. Like, why is she doing that? The only women who live alone are whores. Putas. Is she a puta? You know, it's like, is this like, is this why she's doing? And I, we were outsiders in her family. For sure, because we questioned the ideas of who we should be culturally. Yeah. Isn't it interesting mm -hmm. how, how culture, religion, whatever, there's like so many, there can be so many positives to yeah. those things. And there's so many negatives. But like really the only way the world moves forward is with people going, huh, why? Like that's the only, <laughs> yeah. like it's the only thing that pushes, that pushes anything forward is, is going, Hmm, that's interesting. Or why this is, is not that? working for me? Yeah. This yeah. isn't working for me. Yeah. Or why does this work this way? Maybe there's a good answer. Maybe there's not. Do you, if there's Carmen, not, what do we do? Yeah. About that? Do you, do you feel like it's, um, there has been a shift culturally from the time that you left college to now? Yeah. What does that look like? I think, I think that, um, you know, Gen Zs out there are just of of Dominican, Asian, and Black culture are really changing things. Mm -hmm. I think that that is inevitable. I mean, as we're seeing it, you know, across the globe, mm -hmm. um, I think it's wonderful and great because we can celebrate our cultures and actually make them even more inclusive by saying we accept you like we, and we think you're worthy and you can have a job and a career and this, that thing. And you no, know, you don't have to be married yet. Yeah, you don't have to be married to a man and you don't have to be, I think that those things are very much, very much changing. I do think that still in my generation, I'll tell you this guys. Okay. It is a lonely place to be. You make the choice when you're somebody who asks why, and then makes changes. It's a lonely place to be. And I'm going to, I'm going to admit that to you. It really, really is. It's not a popular zone. Mm. So you have to find people that are with you in it. And that's why there's the, the chosen family, but even still, these are not the people that have known me since I was a kid, mm -hmm. you know, but I'll take that trade off. If it means my daughter and I have a great relationship, my daughter can live a life that's fully hers and of her choice. She can mm -hmm. find herself and be herself and stop this train of generation after generation of mm. you know lies mistruths abuse trauma all of those things 
Oh man, Carmen, this is I, you're you're it's, it, like it's it's just I love this type of conversation. You know, I, I just you're you're a wonderful you're a wonderful podcast guest. Um, to Thank be able to you. just roll with the punches and and be such an open book, like it really is amazing. Um, I suppose I suppose that just comes with the nature of you know, if you're going to write a memoir about yourself, I guess you're just a walking open book, really. Uh, uh, again, again, folks, I, I keep some stuff to myself. Let's just say that <laughs> as you should, as you, as you should. should. Uh, you don't I, know me. I just want to say right before you wrap up that the last point that you were making about that being a lonely place to be. Um, yeah. I just want to say that I, I find that really admirable and I really oh, appreciate you. that. I know we've, we've only ha- had the opportunity to chat for an hour now, but um, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. It, it's you. that it's that place of belonging rather than fitting in. Maybe the group that you belong to has less people in it, but yeah. it feels more right. Yeah, and I believe I'll be less alone one day. Mm-hmm. But it'll mm-hmm. be a good connection. Totally. So it's yeah. worth it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank so again, you guys. Hey, thank you. I, and and for folks that uh, really dug this, again, the book, um, Why Didn't You Tell Me? A memoir is available now wherever you get good books. Um, but Carmen, how, you know, how can our listeners keep up to date with the work that you're doing? I'm, I'm, you, you, you have a podcast as well, I believe. Give yourself a I plug. Did, I, Let us I know. did. That was before the book, but I, it's still up. Um, okay. Go to, you can go to my website, just CarmenRitaWong.com, but mostly through Instagram, where, which is just my name, Carmen Rita Wong, and I just sold my next book, so stay tuned. Um, and I'm always doing stuff and posting family pictures, which people seem to get a, a hoot out of. So um, you can find out also where I'm speaking there. Mm. So I hope to see you. Sweet. Amazing. Amazing. Carmen, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. Thank you, guys. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.